episode 64 of Offscript with Trish Close, intimate interviews and fun conversations with interesting people in front of my microphone today. It's a mouthful. Mike Amaranthus. Should I say Dr. Mike Amaranthus? Mm, whatever. Whatever works. Well, you have, Mike is easier. You it's have enough, your... Amaranthus is enough of a mouthful. What What makes it doctor? PhD? Yeah, my, PhD in microbiology. In microbiology. So... I'm I'm in the company with a smarty pants. Um, you said you are retired. You are a research scientist for the USDA for 20 years. Mm-hmm. Um, and we'll get into the business that you and your wife um, started. But you love to talk about fungus, fungi. You, oh, look at your shirt. <laughs> There's mushrooms on his shirt. But you, um, am I saying that right? Fungi? Fungi. Uh Fungi or fungi depends. Fungi. On, yeah, either way. See, I like fun guy because it sounds like you're fun a fun guy, guy that talks about a lot of fungi. A lot of fungi people are fun guys. Fun sounds like it. And fun gals. <laughs> totally geek out over mushrooms and and bacteria. Um, so you said this morning that you were uh, coaching, right? Football coach. Yeah, I just help a little bit with the conditioning program for. Nice. Yeah. Grants Pass High School? Grants Pass High. And, okay. Yeah. Because you're retired, so you got time on your hands. Yeah, I'm trying to volunteer for a lot of stuff. I like it. I like that a lot. Um, I, I actually met you. Hey, everybody, guess where I met him? <laughs> At a winery. Yeah, you got it. Um, Plaisance Ranch, actually, a couple weeks ago. Great wine. Great wine. Great people. Great people. Yeah. Hi, Joe and, and Susie Janae. I need to get Joe on this podcast. Yeah, I he'd think. be good. He knows so much about wine. It's crazy. And he's also just his... The, the story of Plaisance is so fascinating right. to me. Yeah. I love the fact that his his people came over from this teeny tiny place in France. Okay, we are going to start talking about you now. Where are you from originally? Uh, California. Um, went to UC Berkeley and then got a job up here when I was 20 years old and right. been here ever since. So where in California are you from? Where'd you grow uh, up? Grew up in Orange County, Okay. Uh, California, and then uh, went to Modern Day High School down in Santa Ana, California, and then... Uh, played California some sport, kid. Played some played some sports down there, and then uh, was at UC Berkeley. Mm-hmm. Did you have siblings? Berkeley. Did you grow up with siblings? Uh, two brother, two sisters, and a brother. Okay, big family. Yeah. Well, you have a big family now. You just told me you have five kiddos. Yeah, five. And how many grandbabies? Four. Four, and one on the way. One on Seven? the way. Okay, awesome. So your siblings, did you guys get along growing up? Um, real different personalities. I was the shy one. Really? <laughs> Is there an age big uh, I'm, age difference? I'm the youngest. I was the baby. So I, would, I kept trying to keep a low profile. Stay I'm the trouble. baby too. See, you played it all wrong, Mike. As the baby, you can get into all of the trouble because your parents are like, we're done. We're tired. That's true. Whatever. Yeah. Stay yeah, out I, as late as you want. Yeah, I got away with murder compared to them. Really? All right, pretty much. Strict parents? Uh, not really. Okay. What'd they do? Uh, my dad was a mechanic, and my mom was a clerk. Like an auto yeah. car? So yeah. he fixed cars? Yep. Did he do that at home as like a hobby? Uh, no, he had a company. A company? Yeah. Nice. Yeah. So, okay. Yeah. Where'd you grow up specifically in California? Buena Park, not Sperry Farm. Oh, nice. Did yeah. you go there a lot as a kid? Uh, yeah. It was it was free to the public back then, so you could go there and with your... Just to kind of hang out, so there was no admission charge. Back Isn't that then. crazy yeah, to think was, about? Yeah, you just kind of walked in. There was chickens everywhere. <laughs> um, my husband grew up in Huntington Beach. Oh yeah. So Disneyland was a right, thing. I mean, yeah. you just went all the time. It wasn't a. It wasn't a big deal. Yeah, Disney yeah. was just. I was born in 1955. I think that's when it started. Mm-hmm. So um, 
yeah, it was a whole different world back then. Okay. What were you like in high school? Uh, I loved sports. I loved academics. So I was kind of a rah-rah guy mm-hmm. kind of thing. So I was the student body president. And, were you? Yeah, the val- valedictorian. And oh. I tried to play a lot of sports. I was one of those this guys. So I was an over, overachiever. Overachiever. Yeah, this right. explains a lot to me now. Um, for a shy guy, I'm kind of surprised that you were student body president. I liked, I just liked working with people. Nice. So I think okay. that was part of it. And we were trying to get a few things done back then. So Like what? Uh, we were trying to build a grotto for kids to hang out. Mm-hmm. And we had a bunch of fundraiser stuff that we were trying to donate to the community. And so it wasn't just like a popularity contest. You were really trying to get stuff done. Oh, I, I screwed up all the time. I was I was terrible at meetings, and it was totally oh, really? Yeah, But we had fun. Okay. So why UC Berkeley? Um, I had an uncle that graduated from there. He, had, he got his PhD there, and um, just serendipity, some friends were going. So mm-hmm. that was pretty much they, it was their idea. So what I know about UC Berkeley right now is that it's very, it's liberal. Mm-hmm. Was it that way then? Oh, it was even crazier. Really? Yeah, How so? Yeah, it was just coming after. It was, the Vietnam War was just tailing okay. off, and there was a lot of protests, and it was the free speech movement, and Patty Hearst had got abducted, and uh, they had a people's park, and people, it was just kind of a, you know, free time for free thinkers down there. Hippies? Very much so. Lots of hippies. Yeah, pretty yeah. radical, actually. Mm-hmm. But um, not everybody was like that. There was sort of a whole, and then what I liked about it was a lot of kids that, since it was a state school, mm-hmm. um, it was very affordable. And unlike, unlike places like Stanford, where the kids all seem to be kind of the same, um, pretty elite group there. Right. UC Berkeley, there was a lot of diversity and a lot of crazy people. Um, and, and beautiful. Yeah, it's a great campus. The campus is absolutely gorgeous. Yeah. And the town around it is just stunning. It's a beautiful part of California. Berserkly. Mm-hmm. Berserkly? Yeah. yeah. <laughs> just because very, it's a little Very, very crowded inner city area, but there's always something happening. Yeah. yeah. Do you ever go back? Yeah, I mean, I used to go back to a lot of the football games and and do that and stuff. I don't go back as much. As, took my kids there a few times yeah. just to show them where their dad came from and stuff. What's the mascot again for Berkeley? It's a it's a bear. Okay. Yeah. I I was maybe I'm confusing and it. It's with actually something. an old professor wears the bear outfit, and the bear's called Oski. Really? And the bear doesn't really do much. It kind of twiddles his fingers and. Mm. Well, it's because it's a prof- <laughs> an old professor who's in that costume. It is. It's. I think it was some old professor for like thirty years. Really? Yeah, and he didn't really do much, but. Yeah, their their mascot was not exactly. It's not not like the duck. Mm-hmm. Love the duck. Are you an Oregon Ducks fan? Big, huge Oregon okay. Ducks fan. Well, and you're also a football fan, so football season's coming up. Are yeah, you excited? Yeah, I actually am, I help with the academic counseling for the football team. Really? At the University of Oregon, yeah. For I'm U of the o? Me- Yeah, and the mentorship board and the student athletic development and life skills program. So I'm wow. pretty involved with Oregon athletics. Wow, you are. Yeah. So what do, what role do you play there then? Are you helping uh, um, athletes with academics? Yeah, so what we do is, um, well, we have a mentorship program where we try and get the, it could be male or female, there's like 500 athletes. We try and link them to a good, you'd be a good mentor actually. I might have well, thank you. you. <laughs> okay. Because there's a lot of people interested in broadcast. Um, but um, so you try and, you match them because the reality of the athletic program there's probably five kids out of the 500 that will play pro 
anything. Yeah. So you've got, you know, 95% of them that are looking for jobs. So you try and get them experience, get them somebody that can provide some leadership for them to get to know the fields. And then the life skill program is to teach them how to, you know, write a resume, mouse checkbook. Yeah. Well, because I'm know, sure sports is right. really, right, sports is really, that's been their entire life. You know, you get a scholarship, you go to a four-year university, and, and you're playing sports the majority of the time. So do you feel like academics and life skills get overlooked because that's um, the focus? The academics don't because they have tutors and they have, like, mandatory study halls. Mm-hmm. So they really do a good job on the academics. They just don't have a lot of free time. So they don't really develop, you know, their character as mm-hmm. much because their coaches are so focused on their sport. Right. And they, it's a 12-month. I mean, they don't get any time off mm-hmm. from their sport. So it's kind of maybe too focused, I think, where the life skills program gives them, you know, opportunity to, to branch out a little bit and learn about other people. And there's, like, programs where they do, like the O Heroes program, where they do things in the community. But they need to, like, mix it up when, where they meet other students that aren't necessarily athletes, mm. you know, and just just more round out the kid kind of right. thing. Right. So because Yubo is good at doing that. Well, that's good. They're trying hard to do well, it. Well, anyway. just from your experience doing this, um, here's a question. Do you feel like student athletes are catered to uh, more so well, they than work others? The, they work their butts off. So, I mean, they're not catered in that they have to rigorous training programs yeah and they have super tight schedules because they have so many classes and practice yeah and practice so they're very uh, regimented I think mm-hmm. um, catered to I mean in that they have a food service thing they get pretty good food so they don't have to worry about that um, but really their stipend is not very good okay. I mean it's pretty much just above just poverty curious. level I don't have any yeah they don't of... make they don't make a lot of I mean they're just barely getting by a mm-hmm. lot of the athletes and a lot of the athletes, you know, they have, their families come from places where they don't have the resources to really kick in. For sure. In fact, some of the athletes send money home to their families. Oh, that's you know? nice. Yeah. That's so, nice. But it's not a – they don't they – They're don't not held a, in a higher regard. Oh, I think with from the other students, yeah, there's there's some of that. There's some hero worship going on. But, I mean, who, who knows the lacrosse players? Or who knows a golf or tennis player? Mm-hmm. You know, if you're the football quarterback, you have a lot of notoriety or running back right. or a skill position. Right. But even the linemen on the football team, nobody really knows who they are. You know, they're, they're, yeah. they're in the trenches working their butts off. So most of the athletes, you know, you would never even know they're athletes. Okay. Well, that's interesting that you do that. I guess. I mean, that's It's that's fun. Nice. I mean, being around young people is always exciting. Cause, it keeps you youthful. Yeah, and they're, they're so um, optimistic and passionate and ready to take on life. And, yeah. But they really don't know, you know, they really haven't failed yet because they've never really left the university. That's refreshing. So, so they haven't really, mm. you know, so it's just, it's helped, it's good to help bridge that. And there's a lot of people in the program. There's, we've got quite a few people that help. Well, they're keeping you young. You barely have any gray hair. You're 64 years old and you're retired. I can't believe it, Mike. All right, let's get back to UC Berkeley. Uh, you go there, and, and you said it was berserkly. Um, what year did you graduate? Uh, 1976. Okay, what'd you study? I actually studied soils. I never, th- growing up in California and urban area, I didn't have any, any interest in soil at all. And I took a soil class at UC Berkeley, and I loved it. Really? It's like the bells went off. It was like, I just ever it just resonated with me totally. Mike, and I never expected that because I wanted to be a lawyer or something. That's and the nerdiest thing I have ever heard. <laughs> I love dirt. 
love dirt. Dirt rocks. Um, well, yeah. So what did you want to be when you grew up? You I wanted, wanted to be a, a lawyer. Really? I thought, you know, I was wanted to be a lawyer. I and mean, I spent a summer, you know, interning with some lawyers and I just hated it. Yeah. Well, there's your first clue. Yeah. I just when did you take that like soils it. class early on? Uh, I know. I was a junior. And I really? was just, I did was Did you hooked. switch majors? I did. Oh, man. How long did you go? How Did you, did it extend your stay? Uh, no, I, was, I got out in four years. Okay. Yeah. And I actually smart. got it. Then I got offered a job here in Southern Oregon to, as a soil scientist. And I didn't even know where Southern I didn't know where Southern Oregon. I'd never well, been here or anything. Right. But it's right, It was right above you. I've been here <laughs> 43 years. That's amazing. Okay, so let's back up. You Is your major in soils? Yeah, it was a soils That's major. a thing? Yeah, it was a soil dirt major. Okay, a dirt yeah. major. Yeah. <laughs> There's so much fun I'm going to have with this. You look for jobs in what? What were you, I mean. Oh, I mean, they had planning jobs. You could be like a city planner or a county planner, or you could do, go to ag and be like a farm extension agent. So you like look else. at soils to see what you can build on top of them? Yeah, I liked for, yeah. So basically, you know, growing plants, you know, okay. and, and maintaining soil health for, because soils do a lot more than just grow plants. What do they do? Tell me. <laughs> Tell the, me about soils. Well, I mean, they're huge reservoirs of biological. First, they absorb water. Right. And they release water. Uh, they protect against erosion. Uh, they produce oxygen. Mm -hmm. um, they're important in just maintaining biology. Most of our medicines come from soils. So really? a lot of the organisms that live in soil, penicillin is a soil organism. Okay. But there's thousands of them that have become medicines. So most of the world's biological diversity. I have a true or false question for you. Uh, oh, gosh. Okay. So uh, do you think 50% of the world's biological diversity, species diversity, is below ground, true or false? 50%. I'm going to say true. False. It's 90%. Oh, my gosh. 90% <laughs> of the world, world species live below the ground. 90% of the world species live, live below, below ground, ground right. in soil. In soil. So you can have in a tablespoon of soil, you can have 10,000 different species. So explain this to me like I'm a five-year-old. Soil, meaning sand. Like how many different types of soil are there? Right. So... All soils are made out of sand, silt, and clay okay. with a little bit of organic matter, so like leaves and detritus and stuff that breaks down and poop, in the carpet. Right? And there's, a little, there's some poop in there. There's got to be poop. There's if there's gotta mushrooms, be. there's got to be poop. Well, right? I, that's what keeps poop from growing into groundwater is that the organisms tie it up and they turn it into plant food. Now I'm fascinated with soils. They turn it into plant food. That's so. it. I'm quitting. I'm going back <laughs> to school and I'm studying it's soils. It's addicting, let me tell you. It really is. Okay, yeah. so... Say that again. All soils come from three... Yeah, sand. So, so that's the physical part of soils. Okay. But soils have a chemical part. So that's their ability to hold on to nitrogen and phosphorus and mm -hmm. iron and potassium that are plant foods. So that's the chemical part of soils. And then there's the biological part of soils, which is what we did as a company. Um, and that's the critters that live in the soil mm -hmm. and what they do to recycle nutrients and mm -hmm. feed plants and... Critters that you can see and can't see? Well, I see them all because I have a microscope. But to the naked know. eye, I mean, Careful. you can see a lot of them. You can see a lot of them, you know, with the naked eye. But a lot of them require mic microscopy, so looking at a microscope because mm -hmm. they're really super tiny. Mm -hmm. Like three to five microns is a bacteria. Right. So soil is kind of a big deal. It is to me. Well, I think <laughs> if 90%... 
of all species? Yeah, it's a big thing with like global climate change because most of the world's carbon is tied up in soil. Right. There's more carbon in soil than there is in all the vegetation on Earth. Wow. So it's a big reservoir, and it's a good way to get carbon out of the atmosphere where it heats up the planet and stick it in soil mm -hmm. where it improves plant growth. Okay, so you're looking for jobs, and you land one in Southern Oregon. I did. I had no idea what I was getting into, so I, I saw the caveman at the at Joe Man, and well, I got off, the and job? there was a caveman soil well, scientist. It was a soil scientist job with the Forest Service. Soil scientist job with the Forest Service. Yeah. You saw the caveman. Welcome, welcome uh, to scared, Southern Oregon. Scared the crap out of me. See, when I saw that caveman, <laughs> what is this? I would think coming from Berkeley, you'd be like, Psh, that's. Nothing. I thought it was Bigfoot. Well, because I knew a little bit about Bigfoot. Bigfoot but, lives here. But I, yeah, but it was the caveman. Apparently. Okay, so you're working for the U.S. Forest Service. What are you doing specifically? Well, we had a tree back then. They were growing a lot of trees because they were doing a lot of forest harvest, so they were mm -hmm. har harvesting a lot of logs. So the the tree program, we, grew, we were growing like over 140 million trees a year to plant. After they cut that trees down, they had to plant trees. So you're growing them in like a nursery type thing? We grew them in a nursery, and this is how I got interested in this whole biological part of soils is that um, – so we're growing these trees, and they look beautiful. We were fertilizing the crap out of the soil, and, and they looked beautiful above ground. But below ground, they had very few roots because mm -hmm. we were kind of, they, like, they were like heroin addicts. We were just supplying soluble fertilizers. So yeah. much. There's so <laughs> much that could be said about that. Okay. So they, they did have terrible roots. So the, the trees, we fed them, you know, spoon fed them, so they didn't really have the ability when they were outplanted into the regular forest soil that had rocks and shallow soils and drought and all these things. They didn't have the root system to keep them alive. So, and you gotta 70, have strong roots. Yeah, 70% of the trees were dying. So, wow. so we went. We I talked to a lot of experts because I really I was fresh out of college. I really didn't know what I was doing. So I started talk, calling all these soil experts, and they would say, "Well, add more fertilizer," and and then we add more fertilizer, and then we get all these diseases on the roots, mm -hmm. and the trees were really unhealthy because they had these diseases. So then we spray powerful chemicals to kill the diseases and that sterilized the soil but then the diseases came back worse so we we're spending all this money and the trees were not living where they needed to live which was out in the forest and i kept talking to experts and they they kept they kept telling me just to have fertilizer and the soils got really salty and hard like bricks because mm. all the fertilizers are made of salt they were chemical fertilizers and they made of salt so Soil's got really stinky. You can actually smell. Yeah, it smelled bad. These um, trees were for like if there was a forest fire, you would replant. No, back then they were actually clear cutting. Uh, this is like the seventies, and they oh were yeah, they were clear cutting a lot. And so after they clear cut, they had to plant timber industry, six hundred, right? yeah, and the Forest Service, and they have to plant six hundred trees per acre times thousands of acres, and wow. so it took millions of trees. Wow. So it was a big deal when they didn't Huge. survive because then yeah. you had to plant them again. Huge And then deal. plant them again and then plant them again. So I was about to get fired, I thought, because it was doing <laughs> such a crappy job. Uh, so so I finally – so I talked to all these experts, and it was, it was so expensive, and the trees weren't surviving. Finally, somebody said, you got to talk to this guy named Jim Trappy. So I – you know, I've been – I called this guy, and he said, oh, yeah, um, it's a mycorrhizae problem. So okay. you need to go out in the woods and collect these truffles and these mushrooms and these puffballs. A micro-what? Mycorrhizae. What's that? It's a special root that trees form. Okay. That allow them to feed out of the soil. 
So you have to go collect mushrooms. Yeah, he said, just go out in the forest and collect these things and, like, you know, send me pictures and I'll tell you if they're, you know, what they do and put them in a blender and then spray them over your nursery bed. And All the water mushrooms. And the spores. Yeah. Well, yeah, those, he gave me some ideas for once he thought that was produced the best. So where did you go to find the mushrooms? Lake of the Woods, Howard Prairie Lake, uh, Babyfoot Lake, Taylor Creek. And what did you find? We found them. What, what and I put them in a blender. Did you find and truffles? The, I dumped the margaritas out first, though. <laughs> yeah, but, and then... Um, did you find truffles? Did find truffles. Like, what? I mean, what kind of mushroom? Were you finding little, mushrooms? They were called rhizopogons, and they look like little potatoes. Mm. And they're, they don't really taste that great, but oh. they're, um, they, 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 they have the fragrant smell. I mean, so, you can eat them if you, I guess you were, if you were in a pinch. <laughs> if you were in a pinch. If you're Bear grills and you're out I've made surviving. potato chips out of them. Like Did little, you? Yeah. Yum. Yeah. It was not that great. But okay. All right. Yeah. So you find all these mushrooms. You put them in a blender. And we sprayed it over these nursery beds, and the root systems improved dramatically. Okay. So they got really hairy. So like the mycorrhizae are like, like a spider web on the end of the roots. So that they're little threads that feed in the soil, and they pick nutrients and water out of the soil, and they bring it back. So you increase the surface area of the root system several thousand times with wow. all these little hairs. Wow. But the bottom line is the above ground, the trees didn't look that different other than the disease problems went away, but they survived because they had this much better root system with these little hairs on them. Which is what you need. Yeah, so our survival rates went up to 90%. So it was a big deal. And then all of the forest nurseries started using mycorrhizae. So I kept thinking, how come, I, how come I've never heard about this? How mm. come there's this weird scientist at Oregon State University that knows about this, but nobody else knows about it. And why what don't they teach name? it in school? Jim, well, Jim Trappy. Jim Trappy. And we're still, we're still friends. He's Jim's 88. He's oh, a, man. We, him and I just got back from Mexico together. He got the Lifetime Achievement Award Aww. for his scientific work. For here or in? Uh, no, just international conference. Wow. He's, he's, this guy has described over 300 species of mushrooms, uh, 40 different genera of mushrooms, five families of mushrooms in one new order. He's, he's found more new species than Linnaeus or any of these other, I mean, he's oh like, my gosh. And he's, he's, a, he's a brilliant guy. And he's just a nice, humble, you would never know it if you. And it's like, why haven't we heard of him? Well, I've heard of him. Well, because <laughs> this is your world. He is my world. He's a good guy. That's he amazing. Li- he, likes, he likes to have fun, too. Even at 88, he's you, still a fun hug. And he just got... Fun, fun guy. Fun guy. Ah, there it is. Um, and he just got the Lifetime Achievement Award yeah. for his work. Yeah, his scientific work. Man, congratulations. He's published over 500 scientific papers, how did which you is know, pretty hard to do. How did you know to reach out to him specifically? Somebody I somebody had told me there's this crazy professor at <laughs> Oregon State University called Jim Trapp. And I just called him, left a message on his phone, and he called me back. Amazing. And, and then I became his PhD student. Way okay. back in the Ice Age, way back. So Jim was my mentor. And mushrooms saved your behind. Saved my job probably and led to the eventually the company that we used to grow. Okay. Crazy. So you spray this um, this mushroom cocktail over mm-hmm. all it's these good, trees. Good way of describing it. That's that's what I'm here for. Yeah. I do words well. <laughs> um the trees survive, your job is saved, but then do you just sort of go Man, soil, soils are cool, but mushrooms. 
Oops. Ooh. That's that was the thing is I liked my job, but I just wanted to do research on the fungi. Okay. Because nobody else was doing it. So where does that take you then? What what happens next? Well, I worked twenty years at the Forest Service, and I had like a science team that we were looking at long-term forest productivity. But I found like I wanted to do my own research. I didn't mm -hmm. necessarily want to supervise other scientists. I wanted to get my hands dirty and do it, do my own research. So you do that under Jim. And then Jim got a grant. He got a National Science Foundation grant, and he offered me the awesome. chance to go go back and get my PhD and do that work. Where did you get your PhD? At Oregon State. Oregon State. Yeah. Okay. So what were you looking to do specifically with all this? You wanted to do research, but for what? I wanted to get plants to grow better. See, if the thing was, we were, you know, if you look at like a redwood stand, here you've got, you know, a tree that's eight foot in diameter, 300 feet tall and a thousand years old, never been fertilized, mm -hmm. never been irrigated, mm -hmm. you know, never, no pesticides ever used. It's just a natural system. And the natural system seemed like the better way to go because it uses less inputs, better for the earth. Instead. So how do they do it? I was always how do these trees do it? And then yeah. why do we struggle so much? Right. And it's, and then it led to like growing food. How come we have to add so much to the ground? So much crap. To, to grow food. Yeah. A true or false question for you. Oh, man. <laughs> it okay. takes 2,000 gallons of water to grow an acre of corn. I'm going to say true. False. 600,000 gallons of water. To grow one acre of corn. Think of it. It's 212 feet by 212 feet. And it takes 600,000 gallons of water to grow an acre That's of corn. That's why I don't eat corn. I don't eat corn. <laughs> I don't. It's a lot of water. Holy moly. It's a lot and of water. And you multiply that by 70 million acres of corn. It's the amount of water we use. And the amount of fertilizer is crazy. It takes a half a bar barrel of oil to grow one acre of corn. See, that just doesn't seem right to me. It's fertilizer, pesticides plowing, tilling, weed control. There seems like there's something That's wrong all, with those that. Those are all fossil fuel-based inputs. So can mushrooms help so we're basically, grow corn better? So we're basically drinking oil, eating oil. Right, what that's happens why when I the oil, corn. I know, and that's part of the problem that the planet is in, is that agriculture is a big, uses a lot of energy. Yeah, so can and mushrooms need, help with all of that, is my question? The answer is, of course, yes. So, wait, why are you retired? We need you, Mike. Well, we sold the company. It's actually in better hands. These guys are... Okay. They're we'll get to that great. in a second. Yeah. Um, but your whole mission was to help plants and food plants grow better. Yeah, so okay. more efficiently. More efficiently. Because if you have mycorrhizae on the roots of, say, corn, soybeans, or a tree, you can use 30 to 50% less water and, hmm. and nutrients to grow the Interesting. tree. Interesting. So it saves a lot. Okay. And you have less problems with diseases because the mycorrhizae protect the roots. They're made out of chitin. So they're made out of the same thing that like mammal claws are or like insect shells. They're made mm -hmm. out of chitin. So it's like an armory. And it's Super like tough. A, yeah. And so like diseases can't get in there because it's protected by the same. In fact, the mycorrhizae, the fungi, evolve from insects, not plants. Okay. So they have skeletons. They get, they okay, get shells so around them. Okay, so like insects, uh, what's it called? Their exoskeleton? Yeah, exactly. They oh, shed, look at me, <laughs> biology, high school biology is coming back. Um, they they shed that exoskeleton and then that becomes mycorrhizae? Well, no, right? the mycorrhizae is actually a, 
it's all fungal. There's no insects, but they did evolve from the insect group. Gotcha. Okay. But they're um, the they're made out of chitin, like insects are made out of chitin. chitin. Interesting. Yeah, it's it's tough stuff. So uh, it's also good for you. Yeah. Yeah, chitin is good for you. It's like fiber. So we you can see, find chitin in mushrooms. Yes, there. That's that's the building. The cells are built of chitin. Are there any bad mushrooms? Yeah, there's poisonous mushrooms that'll kill you. Did I tell you my joke? Once some, I think he's a mushroom guy. I interviewed him years ago, and I was talking about mushrooms, and I said, are there any poisonous mushrooms? He said, no, there's just some mushrooms you only eat once. Yeah, there are no inedible mushrooms, but... So, no, bad mushrooms, meaning are there, are there companies that farm mushrooms, and are those the bad ones? No, I mean, those are, there's edible mushrooms, and it's like there's... A couple dozen, really. Those delightful. contain chitin, yeah. too? Yeah. Okay. Yeah. So there's some good, there's some fantastic edible mushrooms, but there's also some poisonous mushrooms. And there are some mushrooms that are pathogens, so they attack plants. Really? So there's the beneficial symbiotic mushrooms mm -hmm. that work with plants and help plants feed from the soil. And then right. you've got decomposers that just break down stuff in soils. And then you've got pathogens actually tap so you know the there's fungi, always got to be a bad apple somewhere. there are you know, the majority of them are are good but there are some pretty powerful disease okay. organisms so when did you get your phd i got my phd in the late 80s okay yeah and then from there did you did you go on an avenue uh, i continued doing research for the usda and but i was really focused on soil and the biology of soil so mm -hmm. the living soil and then at one point, I, I was growing these fungi mm -hmm. for my experiments. So I was growing the stuff that I was using to do my inoculations for my experiments. And I realized I really enjoyed growing mycorrhizae, and we started a business to do that. Okay. So, so how do you grow fungi? Secret. Is it classified information? No, I mean, you, you I'm have not gonna a... I'm going to start growing fungi. Just like, I, although well, there's probably I mean, some fungi growing in my fridge right now, but... Um, I mean, there's different methods. There's like an in vivo method where you um, grow the fungi with a living plant in a certain substrate with a certain kinds of conditions to maximize the growth of the fungi. So, And then there's an in vitro method where you grow it like on in a laboratory. So there's different ways, and the laboratory way, it's more concentrated, and it's sterile, uh, which makes it nice for, like, international stuff. So there's different production methods. So beautifully nerdy. I love it. Yeah, it's, it's awesome. It, it's very nerdy. Um, you were growing this, and then you started a business with your wife. Yep. Okay. When did you guys meet? Uh, we met, I should know this right off the top of my head, 1988. True or false? No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> 1988. Okay. And we were married in 1990. Um, where'd you meet? At a friend's Christmas party. Friend's Christmas party. Was it like love at first sight? It was for me. Aw. <laughs> it always is, I think, for the dude. Uh, what was it we, about We her? were married in a year, so we, That's we, had quick. A pretty, we traveled a lot. It was She's an awesome lady. What was it about her at first? Uh, well, she looks, she's really pretty. Mm -hmm. but She's lovely. Was, I met her, too. Yeah. She's lovely. Her personality is, she's Irish. Mm -hmm. So she's a lot of fun, and <laughs> she's just, she's got a great, easygoing personality. She does. Nothing ever gets her down. And she's so giving. I mean, she's she volunteers for everything. She's, I just respect her as a person. Eileen, right? Yeah. 
Look at me. Hi, Eileen. No, wow. she, she's lovely. She's yeah. a lovely She does lovely so person. much for the community. It's great. Awesome. Yeah. So you guys, you are married in a couple of years. Um, are you getting your PhD at this time that you met? I was or? just finishing. Okay. Yeah. So, yeah, she thought I was super nerdy, too. <laughs> well, what was she doing at the time? She's selling real estate. Okay. But she's really good with business stuff. Mm-hmm. And she became the business when we started the company. We had all these kids and all these bills. And we decided, she said, just go for it because this is what you love. you know. Right. And so we did it together. And the company is, I think it sells products in 40 countries now. Wow. Yeah. So you start the company. Did you see a need for... Well, you tell me. Why did you start the company? What was it? What was the whole purpose? Well, I mean, we just, I felt like it was the right thing to do because I had been on the other end of the deal where I was doing, using a lot of pesticides and using a lot of chemical fertilizers. And I was seeing the soils basically getting poisoned. So I just knew there was a better way because I had done the experiment. So I was like a believer because I had seen with my own hands and my, you know, my own analysis and my own statistics that it worked. Mm-hmm. So I was a believer. The problem was the rest of the world thought it was a bunch of fairy dust. Well, it sounds a little cuckoo. <laughs> it does. It does. But it's pretty well established. Probably when I started, there was probably just less than a thousand papers on mycorrhizae. But I think there's probably, there was 80,000 papers on scientific papers on mycorrhizae wow. about five years ago. So it's probably well well over 100,000 papers. Thank goodness for our scientists. Yeah, it's good. The science is very well established and it's very well received in countries that are trying to pres- preserve their water quality. And grow and the, food. And grow food with less. Yeah. So places like Africa, mm-hmm. South America, Asia. Yeah. <coughs> it's really gotten popular. Well... So you guys, you start this company. At that time, did you did you think like, man, I can really not save the world, but I can really make a difference with this? Yeah, that was our thing. That was our yeah. change your world was our motto. Was it really? Yeah, for the company. Change the, our world. What was, what was the company called? Uh, Mycorrhizal Applications. Okay. It's still called that. Okay. Yeah. But it's owned by Sumitomo, a big Japanese company. So, um, but... Yeah, that was our whole thing. You know, we just changed your world. And, you know, started with the organic farmers were the ones that first embraced it because they had a better understanding of Mm -hmm. the important role that soils play in health. Um, And not using pesticides. Mostly human health and farm worker health. Yeah. So they they bought in immediately. Okay. Um, Conventional agriculture has been slower, obviously. Um, But, I mean, we... Sell over a million pounds a year of the product. Yeah. So. so what was what was the process then? Farmers come to you and say, "We want, we we want a start. We want. Is it like fertilizer? Like what are you selling? Yeah, it looks like little granules. It looks like kitty litter. Okay. A lot of the that's so they kind of banned it by the by the things. We have liquids now, and we have fine powders that are concentrated, so you can actually coat your seed with it. Interesting. So as the seed, as the little root comes out of the emerging seed. It forms with the mycorrhizae and it makes it kind of a hairy root. Just okay. And that hairy root is better at absorbing nutrients and water. Were farmers finding they didn't have to use as much of everything, water, fertilizer, yeah. pesticides? Yeah, it's tough to get farmers to not use a lot of fertilizer. Mm-hmm. That's been the toughest part. But the ones that choose to use 30 or 50%, they get more or better yields with you know, 30 to 50% less inputs. So it's really these farmers trusting in this system. Yeah. 
and doing, I mean, they all have to do their own trials. So they all, you know, they'll do 40 acres out of their 2,000 acres. They okay. do 40 acres and they compare it to how they did on their other stuff. And that's how you get them as customers. Well, I was, Every farmer's got to prove. They, no course. farmer will just buy it. Of course. Right. So that's how we slowly spread. It's just one trial at a time. And what were you hearing from those farmers who were trying it on 40 acres? Yeah, I mean, certain plants are better mycorrhizal plants than others, so they're more dependent on mycorrhizae. So if you say have like alfalfa, um, it's, you know, you get a 20% increase in yield every time. Wow. You know, um, corn, if you're in like in a droughty situation where mm -hmm. there's not enough water, mm -hmm. uh, the effect is fantastic. If you have optimal, perfect conditions for growing corn, Adding the mycorrhiza doesn't help you that much. But if you have drought, if it's non-irrigated corn drought, or if you have soils that aren't as fertile, it makes a huge difference. Wow. So it's, stre it's stress. The mycorrhiza evolved for stress. That's what keeps plants healthy during the summer when it's hot and dry. Mm -hmm. um, that's what keeps them healthy when there's attack by disease organisms. Um, so any kind of stress to the system, the mycorrhiza really do good. Awesome. So this company just grows and grows and grows. It's been <laughs> growing. Yeah, it's been growing 20, 25% a year for 25 years. When did you start? We started in 1994. Okay. And when did you sell? 2015. Did that so. feel pretty good? It felt good in that it was getting like bigger than probably my expertise was because it was a lot of it was supervising and regulation and registration. And you work with different companies. Uh, How know, many employees did you have at this time, at the peak? Uh, 30, you know. Okay, yeah. so that's uh, fairly, I mean, it's not ginormous, but it's no, a lot. No, yeah, it was, It was for us, that was a lot to manage. And then we had um, a plant in, we were partners in a plant in India. We started producing in India. Awesome. So we set up a situation there, and then we had a, a research facility in St. Louis. So it was, it was growing fast, and we had, I don't know, I think there's four PhDs working on it now. So awesome. Yeah, so it was growing, but um, it's just a lot for mom, pa, or, or. I was gonna say, was it getting to the point where you guys were just ready to? Yeah, I still was passionate about the science, and I still loved doing the research, but right. I but when I you're in like management, the, I didn't like the meetings. When you're in a management role, I mean, <coughs> the meetings were killing me. Yeah. Well, yeah, because it's back from your student body president days. Where you always... I was bad back then, too. Yeah, late. And... I should have known better. <laughs> but, uh, yeah, so, and this company had the, they have offices, they have 80,000 employees. And Jeez. they have offices in all over the world. So rather than us having to develop an office in Australia, they would have one there. Uh, instead of us having to do something in Chile, they already have an office in Chile. So, how did you find this particular company to to buy yours? Did they approach you? There was actually um, four companies bidding on the. Look at you! Yeah, it was Mike. it was getting popular. So, well, yeah, and the people were looking for biological solutions and and to diversify their portfolio. So, why this company then? Um, I think they were the most environmentally oriented. Mm-hmm. Um, they really wanted to do it right. Yeah. And they were also, they were going to keep all the employees, which was a big thing for us. Yeah. Because Monsanto wanted to buy us, but they would have fired everybody and just taken the growing technology. Well, and they would have closed Grants Pass in six months. And from what we know from Monsanto, was that something? And I guess, you know, this may be a total 
jerk question. I'm going to ask it anyways. How much did, you know, the money play a role and how much did the, this is your baby of a business and, mm-hmm. and you want to make sure it falls in the right hands? Because I know that's got to be a balancing act, right? Well, we didn't sell it to the highest bidder. So. That, that, yeah, there's my so, question. Yeah, but I mean, it was still. Was Monsanto, value, was was Monsanto still, the highest bidder? Yes. Of course. Yeah, they wanted the technology and they would have just, they would have just probably either quit just because they didn't want the competition it just puts out of business or but they would never they never keep their employees they always downsize and they always close offices once they and buy you acquire. wanted to keep some of this integrity oh we wanted that. we wanted to keep we love grants pass right so we wanted to keep it you going love grants your employees pass. yeah there were a lot of friends and family were involved mm-hmm. too so it was it was good and um the new company the japanese are um super um kind to their employees Mm -hmm. and good benefits and and they tend to be more natural i mean they like organic organic food and Mm -hmm. the food quality is huge in japan okay you know and so they really value that they value the quality so their values really fit with yours and and your wife's and this is where we want our company to go right and they they do a lot of they had offices all over the world which was really good for getting the product out internationally because they already had that the, the venues and yeah. the registration departments and the regulation people. so the whole change our change your world really did go into play with this company yeah and they spend millions of dollars in research every year so they wow. they're really kind of upping you know my preliminary stuff and doing a you know they're combining it with different ingredients and they do field trials all over the world so they they spend millions every year just in research was it and hard field trials. was it hard to let go I had a few bad moments where I was just kind of cranky because mm. you kind of lose your identity. You mm. know, I was Dr. Mike, you know, and then suddenly I'm just ammo. You know, I'm just a guy. <laughs> just a guy. Nobody even looks at me when I walk. But I, I, uh, but I enjoy my life now. I got a lot of things going, and I still love the science, and I still have friends in the, in the office that mm. I talk to. But, yeah, it was, it was, it was, it was a transition. What's that feeling like when you create something that's small at first and then four companies are in this bidding war to get it and now it's in the hands of this company that's spending millions of dollars in research and carrying your little seed mm-hmm. and like spreading it everywhere. That's amazing. It does feel good. Yeah. Yeah, because I mean, I think everybody's that way. You know, you want the fruits of your labor to manifest in a positive way you know whether it's raising kids or you know working at the boys and girls club you mean yeah. you want to see those kids later on and they're doing well and mm-hmm. so all these little sports are kind of my kids yeah <laughs> and they're everywhere they are they are everywhere so here's a question is there a difference between fungi and mold there is okay yeah. i knew there was yeah um so i mean the fungi are this, it's their own kingdom it's a giant group um, and there's all kinds of, there's yeast. I mean, if you think about beer and wine, mm-hmm. that's a, that's I love a, both. There's, there's a, that's a fungally derived bread, mm-hmm. cheese. Mm-hmm. I mean, they do a lot of things mm-hmm. for us, the yeast that make wine, you know, it's all, so there's a lot of things, medicines, a lot of most, about 60% of our medicines are fungal derived. So, and there's molds and, uh, there's all kinds of little critters that are doing different things out there. Amazing. It's truly amazing. Um, 
What was the name of the company that bought your company again? Sumitomo. Sumitomo. And they're located where? Uh, Tokyo. Tokyo. Yeah. Amazing. Do you still play a role with them? No. No? You're done completely. I do a little consulting for them, but it's very limited. Like what kind of consulting? Oh, they just send me lab stuff or they help me, you know, they want me to evaluate certain practices and Mm -hmm. how it might affect the growing operations and a little bit of lab work, but I don't do much. Does that feel good when they call you and they're like, hey, we need your help on this? <coughs> as long as it's not too hard. <laughs> if it's easy, I do like to do it. It's the hard stuff that I don't like to do. Amazing. I, I love this. And you've done, you said you've done all sorts of talks with NPO. Yeah, I just, took, I just did a talk in Mexico two weeks ago. Mm-hmm. Um, and I'm still promoting, the big thing is uh, global warming and the role that mycorrhizae might play in global warming and because um, it's a great repository for carbon. You can take a thousand pounds of carbon out of per acre per year with organic farming methods with mycorrhizae. It's huge. I mean, it's, it's huge. You I take, just feel like why you take aren't we doing of car- this? You take, well, you will, you will never grow another plant without mycorrhizae, right? No, I don't grow. So plants, we do it. Yeah. So eventually, this is going to be standard operating procedure for growing plants. It's using mycorrhizae. It's it's inevitable. So does the USDA know this information? Uh, yeah, they've got some people that they're doing. They've got a research program. They promote it. I guess to me in my brain, which is pretty small, why aren't we, if that's truly the case, why aren't we pushing for this it, If everywhere? you look historically, it usually takes 50 to 70 years okay. for a, a new idea to get adopted. We're, we're almost there. Yeah, we're getting there. Like ha- yeah, more than halfway. Yeah, we're more than halfway. Okay. So, so it, it will definitely happen. That's pretty incredible. Yeah. So it's more than just mushrooms, obviously. Mm-hmm. You know, it's this whole soil microbiome, you know. Right, but... But even you are made of... You have 35 trillion bacteria in your body. You have more bacterial cells than human cells in your body. Really? So you are just like mycorrhizae. You're part plant, part I'm fungus. I'm so mycorrhizae. <laughs> I'm such a fun so guy. We're all, it's, they're called holobionts. So humans are, we're part human, but we're part all this other stuff too. In fact, we're less human than we are microbial. You have more microbial mm-hmm. cells in your body than you have human cells. Is that that whole like you are what you eat kind of thing? Well, you feed them. I mean, that's yeah. why the whole thing with uh, it's called the microbiome. Right. So you want to feed these organisms. That's why you eat yogurt and cheese, all these things Wine. that have bacteria. Wine is actually really good. I know. That's why ye- I drink a it's lot of yeast. It. Yeah. <laughs> um, so I mean, we are all combination organisms and stuff. So I'm a total food snob. I am. I will be the first to admit it. I don't eat things that I think are somewhat bad for mm-hmm. me. Mm-hmm. I eat red meat and I eat plants and I try to stay away from things like corn because I just don't trust most corn out there. You know why? Why? It's got BT in it. It's got a insecticide. Exactly. Bacillus thuringiae. All the corn has got, and that's to keep the corn weevil from eating it. And it's got it's got a special chitin thing that it does. So when the weevil eats it, it tears up its insides, and it's this Bacillus thuringiensis that they put it in every corn seed. I did not know all of that, but that's why I don't <laughs> eat corn. But my whole point is, I just feel like it's so important what we put in our bodies, and mm-hmm. it all starts from the soil. Mm-hmm. And if we're not 
if we don't pay attention to that, that's why we have certain diseases. That's why our mm-hmm. guts hurt mm-hmm. certain times. Mm-hmm. And I feel like those people out there who eat, you know, red meat and plants and whatever, they look really good. Mm-hmm. Those people look good because they're putting good things in right. their body. Right. I don't know. Yeah, no, I, I agree. I think um, soil health equals, we actually, I wrote an article for Atlantic, the magazine, that talked about how soil health and human health are related. Right. So it got over a million um, My good friend, David Grimmels, who mm-hmm. uh, owns the Rogue Creamery, okay. his cows, he says it all starts with the soil because right. the soil grows the grass that the cows eat that make the milk that make the cheese. That's yeah. where it all starts. Yeah, it's all connected. It is all connected. Right. And uh, there's another good book. Well, Michael Poland has written some great books on food and health, but there's a good one that's out right now by Dr. Lee. It's called Eat to Beat Disease. Okay. I got to write that down. Oh, it's, it's funny. The best foods, the foods that you really like, like chocolate, dark chocolate, mm-hmm. um, fish, mm-hmm. berries, mm-hmm. nuts, all the stuff that you're are super healthy for you. Yeah for feeding these microbes that are in your body. Great. I love it. Yeah. You'll love that book. I'm going to read it. Yeah. Um, I did have another question for you. We're going to wrap up and get to the final three. But we seriously, we could talk about fungi forever, I you feel You never like. thought you could, could you? Never. Right. But I am a fan of mushrooms, but I like to cook them and eat right, them. Right, right. Especially um, chanterelles and morels, two of my top favorite right. mushrooms on the planet. Very good. Very good. Okay. Yeah. My question is for you. What... With, with climate change and agriculture just in our country, mm-hmm. are we doing a lot of things wrong? Well, I think we're starting to see some positive change. Um, I think all of the stuff, you have to make it economical sense for farmers. Mm-hmm. You can't ask people to sacrifice their houses and their no. lifestyle. And farming's really hard. Right, so you have to make it cost-effective. And th- that's the interesting part of it. Like, the mycorrhizal part of it is that you can actually make more money because you cut your input costs hmm. and you get better yield. So as they figure that out, that it's a kind of a win-win situation when it comes to using some of these microorganisms, that's that's what it will take to, okay. to change it. Is the mycorrhizae expensive for farmers? Uh, it's, you know, $10, $15 an acre, which isn't too bad. Okay. Isn't too bad. Especially that- if you can get an extra you know, 30 bushels or, right. you know, it pays for itself. Is that one reason why some farmers don't buy into it? Because they just, I can't afford one extra cost? The the cost does come up front because it's when they plant. So that's part of the issue. They're not going to get the benefits until after they harvest. So, mm-hmm. I mean, that's, that's one hurdle. The other hurdle is a lot of the companies, the big agricultural companies, have sold these farmers a bill of goods. They have to have genetically modified seed. They have to have these. Yeah. These pr- they sell a program, and the program is high inputs because that's where they're, you know, it's just like you need 400 pounds an acre of this and 200 pounds an acre of this, and you need this special seed, and you need so they they sell them a package of stuff, and so that's where they're making their money. So it's yeah, and these are like, you know. Hundreds of billions of dollar companies. It's kind of sad. So you're fighting. You're fighting a, a big industry, but it's it's changing. Well, that's good. I've seen a lot of change in my lifetime. That's good. Change your world. Change your world, and we're going to keep changing it. Right. We have to. Yeah, we absolutely right. have to. I mean, right. Is the goal to 
the goal to hopefully have maybe USDA one point make this mandated that you use micro IZ? Yeah, I mean, already you're seeing, like, for example, 50% of all the nitrogen that's used in the, in the mid, you know, the Corn Belt mm-hmm. ends up in the Gulf of Mexico. Mm. And there it causes these massive fish kills down in the Gulf right. of Mexico because yeah. all the nutrients creates al- algae blooms. And when the algae decomposes, it takes all of the oxygen out of the water. Man. So it's, you know, so even though that you're not paying on site, someone's paying. The fisheries mm-hmm. industry in the Gulf of Mexico is paying. Or, you know, one pound of phosphorus in water produces 250 pounds of algae. It's terrible. It is terrible. You can't, I mean. Because we are all I've seen a massive connected. decline in the fishing industry in mm-hmm. my lifetime. And I feel bad for that. I mean, yeah. it's just not right. They're called hypoxia zones. So too much fertility, even though the farmer thinks it's good, it's costing the downstream users groundwater. I mean, there was not even bottled water when I was a kid. It was mm. just you drank the water because well, yeah. all the water was good. But now it's... Bottled I mean, water. I'm anti-bottled water. Yeah, sorry. I mean, it's a lot of, lot of waste associated with that. I agree. Okay. I, sorry. I have, one, I have one last question before okay. we get to the final three. I'm okay. curious your thoughts on hemp, if you have any. I'm working on a story right now about... Hemp fields. We've had a lot of viewers it's who right ask us. The street is uh, Mike. They're everywhere. Yeah. If you've noticed. Yeah. And I'm. I don't have a position on hemp at all. Um, I know that they that hemp's very sustainable and that hemp advocates absolutely love this plant and it can do all sorts of good things. Some viewers though are like the plastic that's laid down. Right. They're like, what happens to that after mm-hmm. the plant is grown? Mm-hmm. Was there anything taken out of these fields to put hemp in? Mm-hmm. Um, is Are all these hemp farms good for our region? I don't know if you have any sort of opinion. I, I, I love the plant because I love the root system. It's hemp. very, very mycorrhizal dependent. Hemp is? Yeah. Okay. Yeah. In fact, my son makes a product called Bigfoot that hemp growers use. Really? Yeah, it's really big in the industry. And it has been for some time. Because the roots it? the root systems are very coarse and so it's a mycorrhizae, but specialized mycorrhiza for hemp. And he's got a heck of a business with this just servicing hemp. Awesome. People. But um I think it's good. I mean I use the C B D oil because I'm old and mm-hmm. have bad knees and it seems to help tremendously. And then for people with ep- epilepsy, the, right. the epileptic you know, so there's like all kinds of great medical medical benefits. It's such a strong fiber. It's great for all hemp. kinds of things. Right. Yeah, I mean, you, you're going to see houses made of hemp here yeah. pretty soon. So in that case, it's real sustainable. But they're going to have to think about, you know, how they treat the soil, like the plastic on the thing on the soil. Just so curious. Our our region is so good for hemp production. I think it's great for the valley. I think economically, it's fantastic. Just mm-hmm. like wine has been important, but I think the hemp thing is really important to the the economic stability of the region. I was going to say, I think our region is pretty good at growing a lot of things here. Yeah, it is. Yeah. But that's one that's more of a specialty crop, that if you can maximize the quality, Mm -hmm. um, you're not going to compete with, you know, pear growers in Argentina where they can, you know what I mean? But this is something we can really specialize in here. Awesome. Yeah. So keep growing it. I think uh, you got some right across the street. It looks great over there. (laughs) Do you actually just go out there and like frolic out there? No, I don't. Well, I do frolic, but I don't frolic in hemp fields. Um, but they are everywhere. I've, I've noticed them. They've popped up 
pretty much everywhere. Yeah, Central Point is on the other side of the freeway. It's yeah. like, whoa, what Lots is of hemp. happening? What's happening here? I just, as long as they don't um, push out my vineyards, I'm fine. Well, it's legal in Europe. In fact, it's kind of a... Hemp. Yeah. Okay. So a lot of the CBD products mm -hmm. are medicines over there. And mm -hmm. they're like gone through the whole pharmaceutical thing where they te do all the testing and stuff. So... You know, it's so much better for people with pain than opiates. I've read the benefits of this plant, and it, it's tremendous yeah, what it can do. it's neat. I mean, yeah, it's Okay, cool. just curious. Um, and then, I'm sorry, one more question before we get to the final three. What do your kiddos do now? I'm curious, smarty pants. Uh, one is actually uh, a sports reporter in Portland. For really? For NBC. Okay. The youngest daughter, and then one's a nurse, and one's a business manager in accounting. And then one son does mycorrhizae. Right. He's got his own mycorrhizal products, and one is a plant propagator. Interesting. So they're all over the board. The kiddo who does mycorrhizae, is he your favorite? Uh, you can say it here. He's probably going to listen to this, so You're yes. safe. No no one listens to this. You're safe. He's your favorite. You know, now. I don't help him much with the mycorrhizae. He grew up with it so much in his life. He's just He got hooked, of, too. Yeah, he's kind of a natural. So um, Awesome. Zach, is his company's doing good. Go Zach. He, Bigfoot. Bigfoot. Is it local? Yeah. Okay. Yeah. That's awesome. Yeah. Um, the sports reporter is who? Bree Amaranthus. So for NBC News. Okay. Yeah. You so can't forget that name. She covers the ducks, the beavers, and the Seahawks. And... Bree? Yeah. Okay. Bree. Go Bree. Well, we can't get any of her stuff because she's NBC or CBS, right. but I will look her up. That's yeah. awesome. Um, you have been so much fun. Dr. Amaranthus. Thank you. Which is Greek, by the way. Which is another good thing about wineries, because we met at Plaisance. We did. We <laughs> did. We talked about fungi for just a little bit, and I said, you have to be on my podcast, and I'm glad you agreed. So let's get to the final three. Best advice you've ever been given. Best advice is to hmm, learn to walk in other people's shoes, because hmm. it makes you a lot more tolerant for what other people have had to go through. and. For sure. And everybody's different. I mean, not everybody's the same. And, and that's what makes us good. Mm -hmm. uh, did someone tell you that, or did you figure that out on your own? Uh, I think my uncle told me that. Nice. Yeah, my uncle Claude Brosterhouse. Claude Brosterhouse? <laughs> that's German, right? They, my my aunt married the Brosterhouse. Okay. Yeah. What a name. Yeah. Um, okay, that's good advice. Uh, if you ever left this place, Southern Oregon, that you didn't even know existed when you were at Berkeley, what would you miss the most? What would bring you back here? I'd say the environment. I mean, mm. you can go within an hour and a half. You can be four different rivers, three different kinds of mountains, different kinds of vegetation, lakes. I mean, there's just so much. That you can do mm -hmm. something different every weekend here. There's different soil everywhere. Yeah, you know, different wineries. <laughs> oh, yes. Um, do you go mushroom hunting now? Yeah, all okay. the time. For I'm infatuated with it. Uh, well, we talked about truffle hunting. Yeah, morel hunting. Morel hunting. And truffle hunting. So you go, you go and mushroom chanterelle hunting. Chanterelle. And hunting. Can I go with you when you go and do a mushroom hunt? The, the best one is the black trumpet. The black trumpet. Yeah, crater ellis. So these are all for consumption. Yeah. Okay. The black trumpets are amazing. They're like a little chanterelle. They're more flavorful. Mm. They're amazing. Okay, so you didn't answer my question. Can I go with you when you go <laughs> yes. mushroom hunting? Yeah. I've Morel always wanted we to go. We got some great land up in the. Higher prairie. Okay. Yeah. Um, what grows really good here? Uh, I would say the morels are probably the yeah. best in, in the spring, but we have the spring king, which is porcini, 
which is really good, Boletus edulis. It's called the Spring King, Boletus rexius. Mm -hmm. And um, it's delicious. Italian-Americans love it, and that's, I'm an Italian-American. Are there any mushrooms that look like mushrooms you can eat, so you have to be really cautious? Um, I mean, there's the brain that looks kind of like a morel, but it doesn't really look that much like a morel, but that's, the gyrometras are deadly. Oh, geez. can be deadly. But, it, I mean, it doesn't, I mean, if you have any kind of, Okay. Clue what's going well, on. Well, that's why I'm going to. But go you with should you. go. Yeah, you should go up. It would just take one or two time. There's a great book by David Aurora, and it's got the, mush, the edible mushrooms with the dangerous lookalikes. It's called All the Rain Promises and More, and it's a little field guide. Hmm. David's a lot of the pictures come from Southern Oregon because he's oh, a buddy nice. of mine. So okay, um, yeah. I, I want to go with you. I want to go with you and search for chanterelles. Chanterelle hunting is phenomenal. Is that there. fall time? Yeah, so it's October. It starts second week of September. Okay. And it goes until the snows hit. Okay. And you have yeah. to have a permit? I don't. <laughs> they don't They don't really monitor the chanterelle hunting. I'll edit that part They do out. the morels. You need a permit, but I, okay. <clears throat> for chanterelles, you usually don't need Well, permits. if you have property, you don't need. Yeah, if you hunt on your own property. Yeah. But it, I think okay. they're pretty lax about Sorry, that. Sorry, tangent, tangent. <laughs> The final of the final three. Uh, if you were ever given a final meal and a final drink, what would that look like? I would. I, I love crab, mm -hmm. Oregon crab, mm -hmm. and I love French black truffles. Mm -hmm. So I would I would warm up the crab and then slice the black truffles over that, and then I that place on Pinot Noir was pretty darn good. I thought I have a glass of that. Yeah, but I, I prefer the black truffle to the white truffle. Really? White truffle is a little bit too um, kind of acidic. It's too sharp for me. And black truffles are what? Wonderful. Uh, tuber, or tubers is the genus. Mm -hmm. And the French black is Milanosporum, tuber Milanosporum. Okay. There are other black truffles, but they're not as good. French black truffles. I had to end with one nerdy Latin phrase. <laughs> Oh, I don't think the nerdiness ends there. But they actually grow a uh, black. <laughs> they grow black truffles I mean in that Australia. In the best way. <laughs> they grow, grow black truffles in Australia. Um, and you can get black truffle. You can get the trees with the inoculated roots, even in Grants Pass. I want one of those. Yeah. I want one. Talk to Zach. Zach sells them. Okay, Zach. That's your kiddo. Yeah. All right. I'm going to talk to Zach because I want some truffles in my backyard. It takes five to seven years is the problem. That's okay. Okay. I'll wait. Okay. I'm patient. Okay, good. Mike, you have been so much fun. Thank you. Well, thank you for having me. This was... Uh, Thanks for sharing your knowledge. I love talking about... I know. I can tell. Mushrooms. Mushrooms. How many, how many mushroom shirts do you have? Probably 20. <laughs> <laughs> See? The nerdiness does not end. I love it. If you're listening to this podcast on iTunes and you like it, please subscribe, rate, and review. It helps other people find us. We're also on Google Play and Stitcher. And you can check out the video portion of this podcast at ktvl.com. Just click on features and then off script. One more time, Mike Amaranthus, the, the fun guy on Fungi. I like it. Thanks for being here. <laughs>